Bibles, we're gonna, or, or your device, your, your iPad, your iPhone, whatever the case may be, we're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah today. Um, you know, when I was thinking about, I mean, we've been in this building, I guess, a few weeks now, but you think as to this whole year, and, and I think many words could sum it up, but certainly transition is a word that, that could sum up kind of what we've been going through. And transition for, for Restoration Church, if we, as we've transitioned to this location, um, and, and just looking at the exciting things that the Lord is going to do. But the reality is transition is sometimes difficult. It's sometimes stressful. Um, maybe you can think of times in your life that you've gone through transition. Maybe you've moved to a new place. Uh, maybe you've you know, added something to your life. Many people who move to a new country will experience um, culture shock, significant transition, because they're going to a place that they've never been before. There are new foods, new cultures, new traditions that they're having to to figure out what it looks like. Moving even through different phases of life is is stressful at times. You know, from um, childhood to young to adolescence to young adult to adulthood to um, eventually retirement. And to, I mean, these are there are stressful times that come with transition. Parenthood um, is transitioning through different times, even as as your kids are growing up. Sometimes the transition is is perceived, or, or even it's a real need. Maybe a company is shutting down, or, or a family member is sick, and and something has to happen. A move needs to happen. Today we're gonna we're gonna look at the book of Nehemiah, and yes, we're gonna look at kind of the whole book as a whole. We're gonna, if you, if you think about an airplane, we're gonna be at about thirty thousand feet looking down, and we're gonna just get a, a general glimpse of the book. I know that Anthony has taught through the book before. And I think would even uh, eventually come back to it. But we're just going to get this overview picture of the, ne- the book of Nehemiah as it relates to this idea of transition. But we're going to look at it, as it with the principles of what we're going to see. So these are not guidelines. These are not biblical prescription as to say you have to do it this way. But they're principles of transition. They're principles of change uh, that we're going to just kind of overview a little bit today. Sometimes it's easy to read something in scripture and see it as a prescribed way of doing things, as if to say, this is what you have to do. And I don't intend to do that today. I do believe that there are some principles, though, that we can learn from as we both continue to this transition of this new location, as well as maybe transition that you might be going through in your life or or in the lives of those that you love. So let me pray for us this morning. Lord God, we thank you for the day. We thank you that we can gather. Lord, it is so good to gather. To be together, um, Lord, to, to just be this community that you've called us to be. Lord, whether we are in other parts of, of the country, Lord, watching this, Lord, whether wherever we are, Lord, we are, as we gather together, we're, Lord, we're gathering in your name. Lord, I pray you would bless our time, open our hearts to hear from you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we moved into our house in Florida just about four years ago. Now, I was thinking about this. I was talking to my son last night. Just to give you a glimpse of how many times I've gone through transition, I'm coming up, I think, I think at five years, that'll be the longest that I've ever lived in one home. And so I'm, I'm 45 years old. So I've transitioned a lot in my life, and, um, and transition is a part of, of what I've gone through. And so just about four years ago, we were, I was in the process of leaving the Army and moving here for a new job. But needless to say, the transition that we, that we went through was 
began long before the trucks, the moving trucks, arrived at our house up in North Carolina when we were moving here. It began with the decision that I was going to get out of the Army. Um, it continued with planning and looking for a new job, planning on, on, on how we were going to get our stuff moved and, and where we were going to live. The packing, um, purging. If you've ever moved, moving is a perfect time to purge things that you don't need, have, want, whatever the case may be. Um, the packing, and then again, the actual moving. If we look back and, and you think about times in, in Scripture, there are, there are lots of transitions that we could look at, but we're going to look specifically at Nehemiah and the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was on the move in the Old Testament a lot of times. You can think back to um, the move as, as Joseph was, was sold into slavery and he was sold down into Egypt. And eventually, because of the famine, his, his family joined him. And there in Egypt, they flourished for a time, and, and they flourished so much that eventually the Pharaoh um, subjugated them and, and put them in slavery. And so they were there in Egypt in, in slavery for, for many years. And eventually, God called Moses, and he, and he transitioned them out of slavery to freedom. But it would have been great if they could just go to the, you know, to the promised land and just live there happy and, and for the rest of their lives. But obviously, the story we, we've heard, they got to the the borders of the promised land, and, and it was a little overwhelming for some of them. And because of their lack of faith, they wandered, they transitioned, and they wandered the desert for 40 years. And then eventually back to the promised land, and then they lived there, but we know that they were not following all of what God had called them to follow. And so as a result, nations came in, and, and the nation of Israel was sent into exile. And so they transitioned again, and you read about that as you read the book of Daniel, and you read other passages when you, when you read how they're in these, these foreign lands, on the move, in transition. Eventually, though, they're going to return. They're going to return back to the, the promised land, back to this, this place that, they, that God had called them to, that God had opened up. But the question is, how did that happen? And, and Nehemiah gives us this understanding. And so as we kind of study this overview, we're going to look at really three principles this morning. So the single kind of statement I want you to think about is this, and that is transition takes a vision, or we'll say a burden, a willingness to serve, and then an opportunity to celebrate. So that's what we're going to look at. So vision. A vision can be a picture. It can be a picture of, of, of a dream of, of, boy, wouldn't it be great if this is what it looked like? But it could also be a burden. It could be something that maybe the Lord has put on your heart that maybe you just have a heart for and, and something that you want to participate in. Maybe it's a burden for a specific people group. You know, I think about missionaries that I've talked to in the past that they have a burden specifically for a nation or a people group that God has given them and, and they want nothing else but to go there and do ministry. But it could be an, another type of burden. It could be a specific calling. Um, a specific type of, of individual or, or something that, that you're wrestling with. But the burden is felt by that person or by that group of people. And they get together and, and, and this burden, then they start to kind of cast this picture, this idea of what could be, what does it look like to participate in this? What does it look like that God would be calling them to do? So in this sense, a, a vision, a burden is caught and it's also, I think, communicated. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. 
If you've got your device, um, Nehemiah chapter 1, 1 to 4, your Bible, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some of the other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have, a, have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah, here's what's happening back home, back in his homeland, and he, he mourns, he weeps. He remembers what was, and, 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 and he hears about this. He says, no, wait a minute. This is not the way it's supposed to be. He catches this vision. This God get, puts a burden on him and, and, and says, I've, there's something else I've got. If you read this prayer, you're going to see that he cries out to the Lord for this vision. Have you ever caught a vision of something? Have you ever caught or, or maybe been... been challenged with a specific burden, maybe to start a new business, or maybe to reach out to your neighbors, to serve them in a specific way. Maybe there's a neighbor next to you who has specific needs, and, and there's a burden that, that God put on you to say, hey, I want you to serve them in this way. Maybe a specific ministry. We see this throughout history, throughout the scriptures. I, th I was thinking about different examples. Maybe a, a nurse a future nurse might get a vision or maybe a burden to help people. Maybe a teacher to impact young people's lives. Or maybe some other type of vocation, but I, I, I want to be really clear here. A vision doesn't always mean, or a burden doesn't always mean, that there's a vocational decision, decision involved. It doesn't mean that you have to change what you're doing to, to, become, to go to a vocation that serves people in a specific way. It could be that, that you're just looking for an opportunity to serve God, but it may not be your vocation. Nehemiah was in a vocation. But vision or, or a burden doesn't always lead to a vocational decision. The Bible says that Nehemiah, what does it say here? He was the cupbearer to the king. Now this was a pretty important job, and it ensured that the king was going to be safe and that all that he was drinking, whatnot, wasn't poisoned. And so he's in this, he's in this important role as cupbearer to, to the king, but he gets a burden. God gives him a vision for something else, for his, his land back home. Well, he didn't necessarily just decide that he was going to change his vocation, but he realized that, that God had put this on his heart. His job was an important job, and his job, actually, his vocation, would open the door to the vision that God had put on his life. It opened the door because it gave him that, the place to be there. He, he wasn't off somewhere else. He was right there in front of the king. Nobody else had a better place to eventually fulfill the call that God had put on his life to go rebuild the city, to rebuild the walls. So it could be that God has you in a specific vocation for a specific reason, that opens the door for a burden that he's putting on your life. But that your vocation actually supports the vision that God has for you. 
So Nehemiah was the perfect person for this vision because he would use this relationship with the king to complete the vision that God had put on his life. And that kind of leads us to this second aspect. So a vision, it's caught, or that burden is caught. And, and Nehemiah experienced this, and God broke his heart for this land back home. But now he had to communicate it. Because it's not just something that he sat on and said, well, okay, this is an interesting thing, and I'm going to just you know, mourn and, and kind of wallow in. But God gave him this burden, he gave him this vision, and now he wants to communicate, well, what is this, what do I do about this, Lord? So a vision must be communicated. If you're burdened by something from the Lord, you might not change vocations. In fact, again, as we talked about a minute ago, you might be in the perfect vocation to fulfill the burden that God has given you. It's possible that that burden, that vision that you're experiencing, even comes out of the work that you do day in and day out. Maybe you experience a, a specific relationship with somebody and, and just that, that relationship burdens you for something. Something specific with that person or maybe a representation of, of what that person is a part of. I don't know. But don't allow this idea of burden or vision to be something that you think or that you feel might only impact those in vocational ministry. Because it doesn't. It's all of us. It's Nehemiah. Nehemiah, who is cupbearer to the king, who God gives a vision to, who God puts a burden on to fulfill a specific ministry. So communicated. For a burden or vision to be realized, it's got to be communicated. So if you look at Nehemiah chapter 2 in our 30,000 foot view. Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine, this is Nehemiah obviously, and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. I had not been sad, excuse me, yep. yep. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever? Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins? Its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah, where my fathers are buried, so I can rebuild it. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. May I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. Many people have a vision, have a burden. But if it's not communicated, it's going to be difficult to move forward in that. Nehemiah's risk here is significant. Don't take it lightly. But his vision was such that he couldn't simply sit by 
and brush off what God had put on his heart. But notice this as well. There's a time for sharing. I don't know about you, but I often kind of want to rush into things. I get excited or I get burdened by something and I want to just rush into it and say, okay, let's just make this happen. I need this, 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 and this. And, and so we're going to have it right now. <laughs> but Nehemiah waits. He waits about four to five months. And he shares his vision to the king. We, we know this time frame from when he first heard the stories because of chapter one. We have the month of Kislev. Now we have the month of Nisan. Approximately four to five months. Nehemiah waits to share his vision. Waiting for the Lord's time is timing is, is sometimes difficult. But scripture teaches me, even in this passage alone, teaches me that God knows the perfect, the hearts of, of, of all people. He knows the perfect timing and waiting for his timing is often of vital importance because he, he is working in people's lives and in situations. We don't have an idea necessarily of what was going on in the king's life, but obviously something was such that this was the right time. And so God broke Nehemiah's heart. He burdened him with this vision. And at the right time, Nehemiah shares it with the king. But notice this, in, in his waiting, and it, he, he doesn't just share the vision, he, there's a sense of boldness here as well. The boldness not just to say, well, I want to go back home, but to say, wait a minute, by the way, can I have like a letter, you know, that says I can do this? You know, so that if somebody comes and says, what are you doing? I can show them the letter from you and say, hey, I'm allowed to be here. This is, this is in fact, the king said I can be here. He commissioned me to come. And, and can I have like a letter that says I can get some supplies that are really going to be needed? Can, can you fund that for me, king? His boldness goes to the king and he says, king, I know not only can you release me, but can you help me out here? He shares, he communicates the vision that God has put on his heart. He communicates this burden that he is, he is experiencing to go back to his homeland and to rebuild. The timing and sharing of the burden would, would end up being perfect. And if we look at Nehemiah chapter 2, again, verse 7 and 8, which we just read, you get that glimpse of, of, of all that he's going to need and his boldness to ask for it. And he's going to continue to share that burden, even as he gets into now the, the nation. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. So now he's, he's after, this is after he's inspected the walls. He's, he's kind of gone over it. Now he's sharing his vision with the people there. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. We'll no longer be in disgrace. I also told him about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king has said to me. He shares the vision with the people. He shares the burden with the people. The people grab it. And they said, let's start rebuilding. So they began this good work. We share the vision that God's put on us, the burden that he's given us. And in his timing, he brings more people alongside of us that say, yes, let's do this together. You don't need to be alone, Nehemiah. They catch it. 
They catch the vision that Nehemiah has. Let's get to work. Let's go. So how are they going to do it, though? How are they going to do it? Well, obviously, they're going to they're serve. And we're going to look at two aspects of this, of this service. First of all, completing work takes time, clearly, and people. Resources are a vital part of completing any type of, a, um, of an effort, whatever it is. Sometimes resources are difficult to obtain. But even more difficult is sometimes getting the, the individuals. People are a resource. But Nehemiah cast this vision and people grab onto it. Now, I, I can't imagine Nehemiah looking over the ruins at this time. It would seem overwhelming to me. Sometimes, as I think about the experiences that I've been a part of in my life, I think about a complex job or a complex um, vision, mission, whatever you want to call it, a complex organization, and I think about all that has to happen from here to here to get it done, and it's, it's sometimes it's overwhelming. I, I think about when I drive down, I mean, nobody likes to drive through Orlando on I-4, at least not yet. Um, you know, I look at all the construction on the interstates around me, and I think of, of golly, what, what does it take to go from, you know, an eight-lane highway to this massive monstrosity of roads that are going to eventually, you know, connect and hopefully alleviate some of the traffic? Well, it's got to be done in a specific way. You know, you, you've got to, it's, you've, I mean, I just watched them. I mean, you know, we'll go down and, and you'll see progress being done. We, we lived in the city of San Antonio and it was the same. You know, some things have to happen. This has to happen first. And I don't know what this is because I'm not a road construction person. But, but if this doesn't happen, the land isn't cleared or whatever, then this can't happen. Everything has to happen in a perfect timeline to get the job done. And it takes those people. It's complex. To me, it would be overwhelming. But people in the midst of that can handle it. They can say, well, wait a minute. I know what has to happen from point A to point B. And we can do this. When I was in the Army, we were, when we were given an order, when our unit was given an order, we, our staff in our unit went through what was called the military decision-making process. And basically, it's taking this, this big mission and breaking it down into what are the functions that everybody's going to have to do. You know, so if you've got a larger unit, what are the smaller units going to have to do? It's a complex job to move, you know, a thousand people to another location with equipment and with materials and food. It, it takes a lot of work. And we would go through that process to make sure that everything was happening properly. In Nehemiah, he is going to help lead the people to this. And we read about the different building that was taking place in Nehemiah chapter 3 through 7. We're not going to read all that today. But the first thing to notice is that it was a single effort. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Eliashab, in chapter 3, verse 1, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it, set its doors in place, building as far as the tower of the hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the tower of Hanani. Verse 2, the men of Jericho built an adjoining se section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. Verse 3, the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of uh, Hasena. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, uh, Meshulam, son of Barakiah, the son of Meshezebel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Bana, also made repairs. We have all these people coming together, making repairs at these different gates, at these different places. 
Now, you could read on and on, and, and that's what you continually see, all these people coming together to do this. But what I find significant is, and what it deserves a little bit of context, is I find significant is that everybody was coming together to do this. As I look back on kind of my education, my formal theological education, my leadership training, my experiences, I believe I've seen that it's important for people to be serving in, in specific ways that God has wired them. God has given you spiritual gifts. In Romans chapter 12, we're going to flip there just for a second if you've got it. Romans 12, 3 through 8 says this. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says, For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think more highly of you what you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. This is the key. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do so cheerfully. Rather than go through this whole section... Uh, we can see in other passages of Scripture as well, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, we've all been given different gifts. We're wired differently. However you view those gifts, it's important to recognize that, that they are gifts that are given to you as it relates to serving the Lord, as it relates to serving Christ. They're gifts for the body of Christ. They're not for individual gain. They're not for individual pride. They might lead to a vocation, but they might just simply be an opportunity to serve in your gift set. So what's a gift set? Or what's your gift set? I don't know. I would simply suggest that if you're not quite sure how God's wired you, how he's you know, excited you, how he's gifted you, start serving in different capacities. And say, okay, Lord, is this how you've, you know, is this, is this how you've wired me? You know, is this how you've gifted me? I believe I have gifts of encouragement, leadership, shepherding, that I have the chance to use in my life. But there are times when, yet when we have the opportunity, and this is the key point to Nehemiah, that we work outside of those specific gift sets for a specific task. So, Nehemiah chapter 3, again, 28, says this. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in the front of his own house. So the priests are working. Verse 31 to 32. Next to him. Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite in the inspection gate and as far as the room above the corner. And between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. So what do we have here? We have people that are outside of their training, outside of how God has equipped them, outside of their vocation, serving in one common purpose to rebuild the wall. There are times in life when God's people, in this case the nation of Israel, in our case the church, when it might be called to serve outside of those areas that we feel that maybe God has gifted us. Maybe you grew up, you know, going, I, I grew up in the church, I grew up going to church, and, and one of the big things we had lots of at different times in my life in different churches is potlucks. You know, I mean, a potluck is just kind of one of those things. Maybe you grew up going to potlucks. I remember, you know, we would go, and, and you think about it, it takes Lots of people to help set up. So you have people setting up chairs and tables and bringing in food and setting up the big food table. And it's got more food than could feed probably your whole town. Uh, 
But it takes everybody just doing those, that work together. Tasks where everybody can participate. Maybe you've served in a local ministry about feeding the poor or cleaning up the city. There are times when the local body of Christ, no matter what the name of the organization is, come together for common purposes. What is the key to this type of ministry? It's for a limited time. It's difficult sometimes to ask somebody outside of the way that maybe God has wired them, that God has gifted them, that they're excited about ministry, to say, do this for until we say stop. <laughs> it's hard to ask people to do that for an indeterminate amount of time. But for the nation of Israel, for Nehemiah, there's a specific goal, there's a specific task of rebuilding the wall that he says, come, help me out, y'all. I don't know if you use those words, but... And they did. And they rebuilt the walls. Goldsmiths, merchants, priests, and the like. All came together for this one common purpose. To get the wall built. And then what happens after they do that? They celebrate. Little story. It was late at night when our when the bus I was on returned home. This is back in 2010. As so many other soldiers have done before me, my unit, as we came home from Iraq from a one-year deployment, walked across the parade field to the families that waited. Families separated from living normal life together for a year. It was an accomplishment. I met my wife, my five-year-old son, who's not five anymore, my three-year-old son and my one-year-old son, along with friends, and my folks were there as well, and we celebrated. We celebrated that we were home. There are important milestones in our life following accomplishments. Graduation ceremonies mark the end of a journey of an academic pursuit. Baptism is both the celebration and the declaration of one's decision to become a follower of Jesus. Parades following a championship victory allow fans who couldn't afford to travel to the game to celebrate with their winning team. And so when the wall was complete, the people would celebrate. Prior to this celebration, it's important to note that it wasn't simply the work, but an opportunity as well to confess, to humble themselves, to renew their commitment before the Lord. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the empty cross. It's empty only because Jesus himself paid the ultimate sacrifice. He took on our sin. He who had no sin became sin for us. This fact is what gives us the freedom to celebrate. Yes, we seek forgiveness. Humble yourself. Confess your sins. Humble in, in the sight of the Lord, but then celebrate. Because when you look to Jesus as the Savior, Scripture tells us that we're made clean. And so we celebrate those things that we've worked together with and that we've, we've come together and said, Lord, this is we've done this in your name. You gave us a burden. You gave us a vision for something. We've accomplished that. We've, we're doing it. And we celebrate together the work that you've done. Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27 says this, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites 
were sought out from where they lived and brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving, with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyrics. And then Nehemiah 12, 38 to 40 says this. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall together with half of the people past the tower of ovens to the broad wall and over the gate of Ephraim, the Jessina gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hanel, the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate, at the gate of the guard, they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials. They celebrated. What's your vision? What's the burden that God has put on your heart, on your life? How has he gifted you? Who, who has he put in your life that maybe, that maybe is there to, to be that king and as, as Nehemiah had? I'm grateful to be a part of sharing in this vision that God has, has given the Restoration Church. I'm grateful to be part of sharing the burden with, with other vocational workers as they seek to follow the Lord in their calling. And so I celebrate. I don't celebrate based on my goodness. I don't celebrate based on my righteousness. I celebrate the fact that I'm forgiven and that God has put a heart and a burden and a vision in my life. And someday, Scripture says that we will celebrate together with Him. Someday, we'll be in heaven celebrating all the work that God has done, all the people that he has brought to himself. We will be celebrating as we stand before Jesus. And I'm telling you, as cool as it is to read about the two choirs here in Nehemiah, I can't imagine the songs we will sing someday as we stand before the Lord. What burden has he given you? I'm going to ask Abe excuse me, to come back up, and he's going to play some in the background for us. And I just want to give you the opportunity just to, just to ask that question for yourself. What is your burden? Are you, how, is, how has God broken your heart? Could be for your neighbor, for your coworkers. It could be for a task. It could be something. I don't know what it is between you and the Lord. But I just want to give you an opportunity just to, just to be with him. Maybe he's, he's given that to you and, and, and there's a, a, a next step. Maybe there's not a next step. Maybe now it's a waiting time. Maybe there's a next step. I'd encourage you just to seek the Lord as to what that next step might be as Abe plays a little bit for us.
Great is thy faithfulness. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you that we can gather. We thank you that you are working in each of our lives, Lord, that you're working all over the world as people gather together and worship you, Lord, as, as you as you put burdens on people's hearts Lord, because you know needs that nobody else knows. And so, Lord, you burden our hearts, you burden our, our minds, Lord, and you give us a vision for how you want us to be a part of what you're doing. So, Lord, I thank you that we're all here to, just to hear from you. Guide us each day, Jesus. Amen. You know, as, as we're, we close up today, the reality is, we've, you know, one of our three values, the gospel community mission, we are a community. We've got to do it together. So let me just encourage you, if you don't have a community group that you're a part of, um, email the church office, um, call the number, get on Facebook and say, hey, I need to know more about community groups. Um, because it, it, we, we come together to, as the body of Christ. Um, so just want to encourage you in that. And then again, as, although we're a community, we go out on mission as well. And so we, do, we, we go to those places that God has placed us. Our neighbors, our coworkers, wherever. We serve each other. We serve the community. So let me just encourage you to, to keep joining with us in that. If, if the Lord lays it on your heart to give, and the, the giving towers are in the back. Um, certainly appreciate all the ways that, that God allows us to work together in this. And so as we close, uh, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and give you peace. Amen and amen. Have a great week.